this is gonna be an interesting one. So um, every once in a while, I write a sermon, and uh, at some point while I'm writing the sermon, I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of tells me, hey, we need to go in a different direction than the direction you've already been going. And this whole week, I've been working on a sermon. Um, I even, if you guys got the emails, I literally even emailed yesterday. The sermon was ready to go. I was going over it, doing review. And then literally, what, four hours ago, I went down to my office, was just going to do a couple last minute things. I told Courtney I'd probably only take an hour. And I went downstairs and the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, no. And so I wrote this sermon <laughs> over a period of a couple hours. I haven't even looked at it again yet, but I really just, in everything within my body, I felt like this needed to be talked about tonight. And so um, we went out, um, Bennett had a doctor's appointment, and I talked to Courtney a little bit about it, and I was just like, hey, I feel like this is something the Holy Spirit's wanting me to do. And anytime that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to do something, I try to get some sort of confirmation from somebody else just to make sure that I'm not like, doing way more work than I need to because this was exhausting. Writing two sermons in one week, you guys know, like one sermon takes a lot of effort, two is exhausting. So, but the good news is in a couple of weeks, I got another sermon that's ready to go for you guys and we'll advertise for that one again. But, uh, <clears throat> okay, so with Chi Alpha, with everything going on tonight, and I've been kind of looking back at the semester and looking back at the school year and I've really been seeing some awesome things happen. Um, when I talk to my boss about things that are going on, we've had uh, two or three, maybe even four um, people who have given their life to Christ in Chi Alpha this year. We've had uh, double digits people who have rededicated their life in Chi Alpha this year. We've had a ton of people who have came and visited one night, gave their life to Christ, and then didn't come back. And so Chi Alpha, things are moving in Chi Alpha. Things are happening. Um, that's really exciting. That's awesome. That's, that's encouraging. That gives me, you know, that gives me pumped up is when things are growing, things are moving. There's, there's change, there's growth. When things are stagnant and things just kind of stay the same for a little while, you know, it kind of gets to a point where you just kind of hit a routine and you're good with that routine. And you just come to Kai Alpha on Tuesdays. Maybe you go to your small group and then that's like it for the week. That stagnation, that routine, uh, like that routine can feel good but that routine is stagnant. If things aren't moving and things aren't changing, we're not doing anything. We're not growing the kingdom. We're not advancing the lines of the kingdom. We're just existing. And that's not what Jesus calls us to. He doesn't call us to just exist on this college campus. He's not calling us to just be here at Chi Alpha and go because you might see some friends or you might hear a good word or, you know, maybe it's because you like my preaching because you're weird, but like, if the reason you're here is because you think I'm a good preacher, like, that's not, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He doesn't call you to come to Chi Alpha to hear a good sermon. He doesn't call you to Chi Alpha to, to see friends. He doesn't call you to Chi Alpha to do these things. He calls us to Chi Alpha to equip us. And so my sermons are built the way that I write my sermons. So to give you an idea, I literally write my sermons in a way to try to equip you guys, to try to make sure that you guys are equipped to go out go out into the world and to share the gospel. And so there's much more happening than just you're coming here to Chi Alpha. Now, again, the service is important. It is good to be fed and it is good to come here, digest it, regurgitate it, do those things. That is important. And if that is your sole reason for coming, awesome. But I want to encourage you, there's more. I'm not saying that you're here for the wrong reasons. I'm saying that to look at what's more than that. 
And so um, tonight, I just really felt like, okay, so things have been happening with Chi Alpha, and we kind of have been having this pattern where it seems like some awesome things happen, and then something just kind of shoves back, and then we end up back with a small little group again. And then we make a big advancement, new people come, and then we kind of get shoved back. And then something happens, something big happens, and then somebody comes to me with a text message or a phone call, hey, this is going on in my life right now. This is kind of hard. And so I was thinking about it a little bit more, and I was just talking about, or I was just thinking, and I was like, you know what, honestly, I can't remember the last time we talked about spiritual warfare in Chi Alpha. Um, we did a kind of a small group style, like, Q&A, like four hour big deal about spiritual warfare a few years back. And we haven't really done anything since then. And so tonight I really feel like the Holy Spirit really wanted me to share with you guys a little bit about spiritual warfare so you guys can be equipped to fight back against the enemy. And so tonight, uh, talking about spiritual warfare, I want to cover, there's a set of two and a set of four and a set of four. I remember writing those things, but I don't remember anything else from it because I literally wrote it, haven't even looked through it yet. But the two things that I found that, that I feel like we as Christians, especially here in America, struggle with the most as far as our uh, outlook on spiritual warfare is the first thing we underestimate, and I, and I want you to hear point two while hearing point one, but point one is we underestimate how powerful the enemy really is. And then the second thing is, we then, on top of that, underestimate how powerful Jesus is. Because if we ignore the whole picture, and we just assume things are taken care of, and we're just, we're coasting, we've deathly underestimated the enemy. But at the same time, if we're afraid of what the enemy is doing and we're giving into fear of the enemy, then we have fallen victim of the second thing of grossly underestimating how powerful Jesus is and how powerful the word of Jesus is. And so we have to approach spiritual warfare. We have to approach the enemy as a both and. We have to fully understand how powerful the enemy is while at the same time walking in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Because if we're missing one of those two things, we're unequipped. We're not really walking in what Jesus has called us to walk in. And so Ephesians 6 refers to it as the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places or the demonic. And I'm going to use the words. I don't like, I feel like sometimes Christians, we get to this place where like, we're thinking it's like Voldemort and like, we can't say the name like Satan, Lucifer. If we say those things, we're giving power over to them. And tonight we're going to use the words. We're going to talk about the demonic. We're going to talk about Lucifer. We're going to talk about Satan. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about Jesus. And I really want to make sure that we're using the right words and using the things that we need to say. And so uh, Hosea 4, and I don't even have scripture written up. I didn't even have time. So you're done for the night. You're good, man. I literally created this, put it up, and then was like, I'm not doing anything else because I don't have time. And I ran upstairs, went and got dinner, came home. But anyway, so if you want to read along, you will have to look up within Scripture. Um, however, I want to say afterwards, if you want the Scripture references that I reference in this, um, shoot me an email, and within the next week or two, I will get all of the references compiled, and I can send them out to you guys. Um, 
Courtney and I are going to light conference on Thursday. And so I won't be around this week um, to get that out. So it might take me a little bit longer than it normally would. But Hosea 4 says in verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as priests. And so this point is going back to point one or the, the first and second thing. If we pretend like the spiritual world doesn't exist and we pretend that demons don't exist and we pretend that Satan doesn't exist or, or we miscategorize them as like, um, we had students who've left Chi Alpha because they were taught that spiritual warfare was purely just a mental game. If we ignore and we choose to just leave out what Scripture says about the demonic world and about the, the spiritual world, if we choose to just ignore it, Hosea 6 is saying that like we're, we're going to be left out. Hosea 4 is uh, saying that like we'll be, we'll be left out. We'll be rejected as Christ's priests. And so we can't just will it away. That's what we're learning from this, and that's what we learned from Hosea 4. And so, how many of you guys, by a show of hands, can definitively say you know for a fact you've been spiritually attacked? Okay. <clears throat> as you begin to walk out in your faith, and as you begin to grow, and as you grow in your faith, as well as you begin to share your faith, you will become a target. And so my goal, believe it or not, by the end of this school year, is I would hope that every single one of you would raise your hand. That every single one of you would have a definitive attack come against you from the enemy. Not because I want to see you attacked, but because the enemy attacks when we are moving. The enemy attacks us most when we are producing and reproducing and sharing the gospel and moving the kingdom forward and advancing the kingdom. And so my goal and my hope is that you guys would become such key pieces in the kingdom of God, that you guys would be growing enough and sharing enough that you guys would become key targets of the enemy. But then my goal is also that that attack wouldn't last long because you would be equipped through even just tonight's sermon in order to fight back against it. And so when I say that my goal is that you would be attacked by the enemy, I don't mean that like he's going to win. What I'm saying is I hope you're attacked and I hope you're equipped in order to fight that attack. So again, you have to hear my heart and hear the whole thoughts before casting judgment on tonight's sermon because it's going to be, I get pretty deep in this stuff. So again, like I said, I feel like in Kyle, we're doing some awesome things. And I do feel like we have had a big target on our back from the enemy this year. And I feel like it's, it's been bigger than it's been in a few years at least. And so um, Sun Tzu wrote in his famous book, The Art of War, that if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. But if you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. And Sun Tzu is not Christian. That's not a Christian quote, but I think it is a powerful quote because scripture uh, talks about spiritual warfare. I mean, the term spiritual warfare indicates that we're in a war. That we're in battles. And that is exactly how scripture refers to this battle constantly is we are in a war. We're in a war for the very lives of those around you. We're in a war for your family's life, your life, your, your future kids' lives. 
We are in a war for, for the lives and the souls of everybody around us. And we are in that war as Christians. We are inherently drafted into that war. And so because Scripture talks about it so much as a likening to war, I think that sometimes we need to get out of the, the churchy church world a little bit where, you know, the, the strength of the coffee determines how powerful worship is. And we need to get back to where the Bible is taking us as far as how real this is. And so if you study warfare and you understand warfare, you understand the spiritual world, you, uh, spiritual world even better. And so I feel like learning things from um, uh, people like Sun Tzu, I think what he has to say about war is so powerful. Man, Jacob's about ready to get turned up a notch. <laughs> um, and I really like what he has to say because it's so true that if you know yourself but not Satan, Satan's going to just have his way with you. You'll start to blame things that you didn't even realize was the enemy on yourself. You're going to start thinking that you're crazy. You're going to start thinking that you're struggling with all of this stuff, and you're going to start self-defeating because you don't recognize what the enemy is bringing to the table. But if you know yourself and you know the enemy well, a lot of times you could have entire bad weeks wiped off because you know that the enemy is attacking and you adequately prepare for it or you adequately fight against it, and it completely can alter the way your entire week goes. And so I want to make sure that we know the enemy. So who is the enemy? We're going to break it down. So the enemy, or what uh, Scripture refers to as the spiritual forces that will be targeting us. Who is it? And simply put, it's Satan. Satan himself and demons. And so there's a lot of information within Scripture. There's actually a lot more information than I think we would realize that talks about Satan and demons um, within Scripture. But basically, long story short, Satan himself, Satan was a cherubim, which is the highest of angels. And Satan himself, his name was Lucifer, was the highest created angel. And so he was, even above Michael, he was the highest created angel. He was absolutely gorgeous. His nickname was the, or Lucifer means the bringer of light. Like he was top notch. A lot of time we think of demons and Satan as these ugly creatures and whatever, but dude, Lucifer was gorgeous. He was the most beautiful angel there was. And so he had all of this power. He had the looks. He had, you know, all of this going right for him. <clears throat> That's who Satan is. His other names within the scripture are the devil and Lucifer. And it can be argued that his name before the fall was Lucifer. And then after the fall, after he fell from heaven, that his name was basically turned to Satan and the devil. But basically, Satan, what he tried to do was he decided he wanted more. He wanted more power. He didn't like just being the most powerful angel. He wanted to be God. And so he basically tried to overthrow God. Smart, right? <clears throat> it didn't work out well for him. This leads me into number one, or a, a first misconception that I think sometimes we have um, with angels is that a lot of times through our culture, through movies, we get this idea that angels are these like drone robots that are just basically like doing God's will and that's all they do. But it clearly indicate, indicates within scripture that Lucifer himself, he had a choice. 
he chose to fight and to try, try to overtake, uh, try to overtake God. And it talks about at the same time that Lucifer went and he got a third of the angels to go along with his plan. And that third of the angels then subsequently were thrown out of heaven. They were thrown down to earth, and some of them are already bound up in the abyss, and many more are free and loosed on this earth. And they are known within Scripture as demons, unclean spirits, evil spirits, lying spirits, or Satan's angels. So it even refers to them in Scripture as Satan's angels in a couple different points. And so going back to the misconception, the misconception is that angels don't have choices, but in reality, they did. They had that choice. But because they knew God so well and so intimately and so closely, there's not redemption for them the same way there is for us. Jesus didn't die for the angels because they knew God. They already had inherited the glory of God, and they still chose to rebel against God. And so they were cast out of the, cast out of the heavenly realms. And so, basically, then Satan and his angels... They desire to hurt God. They want nothing more than to hurt God. And the easiest way that they can hurt God is by tempting man into getting man to turn away from God. And so the other misconception is that God created, uh, created demons in Lucifer. It says very clearly that God created good. And he created the world. He created the heavens. He created the earth. And it was good. That means that, again, going back to the first misconception, angels then were created, or demons were created good as angels. Lucifer was created good as the bringer of light, but their choices turned them into what they are, and they decided to turn against God and became bad. They chose to disobey and fight against God. And so, God didn't create the demons as is. That's like God created, you know, created, you can say God created Hitler. God didn't create Hitler in order to take over and kill, you know, half of the Jews on earth. He created Hitler for good purposes. He created him uh, with the intention of good, but Hitler made his own choices and became evil. Angels are the same way. God created them to be good, and they turned on God and became demons. And so that's who we're fighting. So knowing our enemy knowing that they want nothing more than to hurt God. And then the main way that they hurt God is through hurting us, is through taking us away from God. And here's the thing about, about angels, is they have thousands of years of leg up on you as to, to how the human mind works and how we work and how we function even as a society. They have a leg up in that aspect. And so, a lot of times we have this also idea that demons are just these mindless, dumb creatures. Now, they're very intelligent. But again, in their intellect, they also still are not as powerful as the kingdom of God. They're not as powerful as Jesus. And so going back to the numbers, Lucifer got a third of the angels to go along with his plan. That means two-thirds of the angels didn't. So simply put, the kingdom of God still vastly outnumbers um, Satan's quote-unquote kingdom. And so, again, power. We're on the winning side. We're on the good side. We're on the side that has more power. And so I want to be careful to not overstress uh, the enemy's power and intellect 
But I want to constantly throughout tonight's service remind you of the power of good. And so, so basically, Satan and his demons are these powerful beings. They're capable of a lot of things. And so going into the next thing, we've identified who, who the enemy is. We've identified who the, the, the darkness and the principalities are. And so what do they do? How do they get us to turn against God? And so within Scripture, I'm just using Scripture, not any sort of extra biblical thing. I'm, I'm just talking about the biblical examples as to how the enemy gets us to turn away from God. And so it talks about how demons are capable of possessing humans. There's scripture where Jesus is casting out demons from somebody. So they're capable of taking over our bodies. Um, they're also capable of causing physical ailments. They're, they're capable of causing us the inability to speak. They're capable of causing epileptic symptoms, blindness. Um, they caused Judas to do evil. They led him astray. They helped him to be led astray. And so the man who was possessed by, there was a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. He had superhuman strength and he lived naked among the tombstones. King Saul, after rebelling against the Lord, he was troubled by an evil spirit um, with the apparent effect of a depressed mood. So they can cause depression within us and an increased desire to kill David. So, Lust, desire, power can cause us to crave those things as well. And so Jesus himself encountered Satan and was tempted by him. And so if Jesus encountered Satan and was tempted by him, then we can encounter Satan and be tempted by him. We can encounter demons and be tempted by them. And so it doesn't mean just because you're tempted by a demon or because a demon affects you or because a demon attacks you. Again, I think... Going back to a misconception, I think one of the misconceptions we have in the American church is that if you're being attacked by the enemy, that you're doing something wrong. And in fact, Scripture tells us over and over again that if you're being attacked by the enemy, chances are typically you're doing something right. Now, there might be an avenue in your life that you might be struggling with that the enemy is getting a foothold in. But overall, if you're being attacked, typically what's happening is you are doing right. You're growing. You're getting closer to God. You're advancing the kingdom because Jesus was tempted by Satan. So if, if we were to say that, well, the only way that we can be tempted by the demonic is if we're struggling in sin, then what happened with Jesus and Satan? Because Jesus didn't struggle with sin. Jesus didn't have a habitual sin that he struggled with. He wasn't lusting after women. He wasn't struggling with a porn addiction. He didn't remarry six different people. Like Jesus wasn't struggling in sin and still Satan had the opportunity to tempt him. And so Jesus also encountered demons. And so again, it's not just Satan. Jesus encountered demons as well. And so to indicate that Jesus did something wrong in order to have been attacked by demons, we have to be careful and recognize that a lot of times you're not attacked by demons because you're doing something wrong. A lot of times you're attacked by the enemy because you're doing things right or because you're growing or because you're a threat to the kingdom or not to the kingdom, to, you're, you're a threat to the enemy's kingdom. And so we got to be careful with that mindset. And so that's the way that the enemy attacks us. 
causes us to have depression, anxiety, those things. Now, here's the thing. All of those things I listed, there's also natural things that cause them. And so be careful to, to go around claiming, excuse me, claiming that every person who's struggling with depression has a demon because that's not what is going on. Be careful to go around saying that everybody who's blind has a demon because there's natural causes of some of this stuff, but also at the same time, there is demonic causes. And so we have to be very careful to be discerning of the Holy Spirit and listening to God, basing on whether or not something is demonic or something is in the natural. And we need to be very careful and attentive to that because nothing hurts worse than if you're struggling with anxiety and somebody comes along and says, you're entertaining demons. And in reality, you're just dealing with anxiety because your hormones are out of whack or because, you know, maybe you have some childhood trauma that you haven't been counseled through or, you know, whatever the reason that could be causing depression or anxiety. If somebody comes along, accuses you of entertaining demons and you're not, it's defeating. And you are advancing the kingdom of the demonic in that instant rather than the kingdom of heaven by overly accusing and overly uh, misdiagnosing things as demonic when they might not be. So, very, very cautious. And I would actually tune to say that uh, you should never go up to somebody and accuse them of having entertaining demons. If you think somebody is struggling with demonic thing that, that maybe the demonic is causing their depression or their, uh, their blindness or whatever it is, instead just go and offer to pray for them. You can pray for them without accusing them of entertaining demons. In fact, you should just pray for them and not go and accuse them of entertaining demons. Now, if it is demonic and you go and begin to pray for them, sometimes what will happen is, is the term falling out with a demon. Um, uh, this is the part of the sermon where it takes a little bit of a dramatic turn. Okay, So I can tell you, I can stand here before you and I can tell you that I know what it feels like to be possessed by a demon. I have been possessed by a demon before. I also know what it looks like when one of your best friends is possessed by a demon and you and your friends have to cast out the demon from them. I know what that looks like. I know what the room feels like. And I know what it feels like, like I said, to actually be possessed by a demon. It's weird. It's not something that is exciting and it's not something that I'm proud of. In fact, even just thinking about it, it just feels dirty. And it's been, gosh, 12 years. It's been a long time since I've encountered it, in, or not encountered demons, but in, since I was possessed by a demon. It's been a long time, but I, I'll never forget what it felt like. It was very real, and it does happen. This isn't just some movie that, you know, that occurs and it's over there, and reality isn't that that stuff happens. No, it definitely does. But in knowing what it feels like, the one cool thing about it is even in being possessed by a demon, my friends who were playing hands and praying for me still had authority over that demon in, inside of me. And while praying for a friend who fell out, like we said, call, call it falling out with a demon, my friend who fell out in a demon with a full-on demonic possession, we still had authority over that demon to cast him out. And he had to do what we told him to do. And so it was really cool getting to see the power of just the name of Jesus in that instance. 
Um, and so I don't say that to be dramatic in the sense of like, I'm trying to scare you or anything like that. Because in fact, what I'm trying to do is to say that like, Hey, this is real. And while at the same time, as real as it was and as, as horrible as it felt, Jesus's power and authority still shine through that instance. And so even though I, I don't, I, I wish it never would have happened at the same time, it happened and I grew because of it, because of God's authority and because of the authority of Jesus. And so, <clears throat> in fact, Jesus's authority over demons was one of the proofs that scripture gives us that actually helped to prove that he was indeed the son of God, that he was the Messiah. His authority over demons is one of the proofs for us that he was who he said he was. Because at one point, there was, um, there was, uh, Pharisees who didn't believe in Jesus, but they began to use Jesus's name because they saw how powerful the name of Jesus was. And they disagreed and they were persecuting Jesus. And the demons basically said, I know who Jesus is, but who are you? Because they hadn't given their authority over to Jesus. They weren't of the kingdom of God because they were persecuting Jesus. But they decided, hey, you know what? The name of Jesus is powerful, so we're just going to use it. That was one of the ways that we knew that Jesus was the Son of God. And so the demons who encountered Jesus knew exactly who he was. So even in that instance, these random people who are persecuting Jesus, like, could you imagine if I'm like trying to kill Matt and I'm like, in the name of Matt, get out. And they're like, the demons are like, I know who Matt is, but who are you? Like the demons knew who Jesus was in those instances and they feared him. And so Matthew 8, 29 says, this is the demons talking. What do you want with us, son of God? The demon shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So they were afraid of Jesus. And not only that, where they were afraid of Jesus, they knew already that they were going to lose. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Indicating that there is an end, there is an appointed time, and the demons already knew they were going to lose. And so they already know they're going to lose. The war's already over. Jesus has already won. And so not only that, but because Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, the same power that Jesus had to cast out those demons resides in us as Christians. And so in the same way that those demons feared Jesus, if we give our authority over to Jesus and we're in Christ, we have that same authority and demons fear us as well. They fear the Holy Spirit in us. We have that same power. You have the power to cast out demons. You have the power to resist evil. And Ephesians 6 says that if we put on the armor of God, we can stand firm against any attacks from Satan himself, the leader of the demonic forces. We can withstand attacks from him if we just put on the armor of God. We don't even have to do anything with the armor. We just have to put it on. If we put it on, we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. That's huge. That's powerful. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so this is the great caveat of what I was just saying, because as cool as it is that the demons flee from us and that they cower to us, the real power, the real authority, the real awesomeness is that we get to inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
And so we don't need to be obsessed with seeking out the demonic. We don't need to be obsessed with cowering over the demonic. We need to be obsessed with our names being written in the book of heaven. And we need to be obsessed with trying to get as many people around us, their names written in the book of heaven as well. Because that's what's really important. Luke is telling us that. And so before we go into the last part of the sermon tonight, I want to say that um, when I was talking about you know, I know what it feels like to be possessed and my friends cast out demons. And I know what it feels like as a Christian to cast out demons from a friend and who was possessed. I will say that um, <clears throat> I had been a Christian two months, three months at the time that me and my friends cast out a demon. I was a baby Christian. And so another misconception is as Christians, and I think this is per- perpetuated sometimes by the Catholic faith of that the Father is the only one that has authority and blah, blah, blah. No, like Scripture straight up says that we as Christians, it's not my authority as the pastor of Chi Alpha. Like you don't have to come to me to bless your home or you don't have to come to me to uh, fight off any attacks from the enemy. Like the same power that resides in me as your pastor is the exact same power that resides in you. And it's the same power that Jesus used. Like, it doesn't level up because I'm the pastor. I don't all of a sudden have more of the Holy Spirit and more of the power of Jesus just because I'm the pastor. Like you, sitting there in the audience, you have the exact same power to cast out demons and to fight against the enemy as I do, and my wife does, and my our staff do. Like, you have the same power. So, if anybody ever makes you, like, if anywhere ever has taught you that the pastor has more authority and more power, like, that's not legit. Like you have the authority over your life. In fact, when I go into other people's homes to bless their house with them, I actually walk around with them and make them bless their house because they have more authority over their home than I do. And so there's times where when I go and bless a a place, um, I literally, we had a student one time that had me come over and I was like, here, I'm going to give you the anointing oil. I'm going to walk around with you and you're going to say the prayers and I'm just going to agree with you because you're the one who has the authority over this house. You're the one whose contract is on this house. My name isn't on there. And if I cast a demon out of your house, it can return if you don't stand form or stand firm in your foundation, Jesus, because it does talk about in scripture that they'll, if you cast them out and clean it up, they'll return to a clean place and bring seven of their friends. You've got to make sure that you walk in your own authority. And so don't give your, don't try to give your authority over to me in order to protect you and your dorm. Like you've got the authority to protect your dorm. Don't try to give your authority over to somebody else. Like walk in the authority that the Holy Spirit has given you and that Jesus has given you. So now we want to go into the next part is, How do we do it? So we've talked about spiritual warfare. We've talked about the enemy. We know the enemy. We know what it looks like. We know what they're going to try to do. What next? How do we do this? And so I want to kind of walk through some practical ways that we can fight against the enemy. It's really, really easy, but after doing it for 12 years, it kind of comes naturally for me. But in the same sense that I remember as a student and when, when, when that mess went down, we didn't know what we were doing. And looking back, I actually like can see that we made things more difficult for ourselves because we didn't really know what we were doing, but we still had that authority and it still worked out. But it probably would have been a little simpler if we knew what we were doing. And so I want to make sure you guys are equipped 
to know what you're doing. And so um, the first way in which we fight against the enemy and fight against demons is simple. Use Scripture. Scripture is powerful. The Word of God is referred to as a sword. The Bible is referred to as a sword. It is a weapon. We can use that weapon to fight against the enemy. It really is a weapon that we can use to fight against the demonic. And so Scripture is referred to as a sword, a weapon. And if you feel like the enemy is attacking, it's important for us to have either Scripture at our available or Scripture memorized so that we can use it to refute the enemy. Because if you remember, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what happened was Satan would misquote Scripture, and then Jesus would use Scripture to fight against him. And he would know the actual Scripture. Well, Jesus had everything memorized because Jesus is God. But So it's important for us to know what the Bible says about us and our identities as well as having Scripture in order to fight against the enemy. And so let's say that you're feeling hopeless, and it's just like, it hits you like a ton of bricks. You're having a great day, and then bam, there's just this weight on your shoulders, and you just feel hopeless. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. So if we're feeling hopeless, Scripture tells us that God has given us a future and has given us hope. And so we can fight against that force. We can fight against that feeling. We can fight against that demonic force simply by refuting it with Scripture. Let's say we're feeling depressed. And this is, like I said, when this is a demonic thing and not just if you're having a chemical imbalance and feeling depressed, it's a different story. But if this is a demonic force coming against you and making you feel depressed, Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so Scripture gives us encouragement. It gives us light. It gives us hope. It tells us the God of the universe is with us. That's powerful. If you got a friend who's possessed by a, team, uh, by a demon, Mark 9, 29. And he said to them, This kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And Acts 16, 18, which says, Paul, having be, uh, become greatly annoyed by the girl with the spirit of divination, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Scripture teaches us how to fight the demonic. And so the second thing we can do, I referred to it a little bit ago, is we can put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6 says this scripture is, uh, uh, yeah. So Ephesians 6 is your scripture. Read the whole thing. So tonight before you go to bed, get a chance. Pull up Ephesians 6. Read the whole thing. It talks about the armor of God. I probably have preached a sermon about the armor of God in the last year. I'll probably preach another sermon about the armor of God next semester. But this is your homework. Go read it. Um, but the second thing we can do is put on the armor of God. And so, like I said before, if we have the armor of God on, the enemy can't even attack us. We can withstand the attacks of the enemy just simply by putting on the armor of God. Third thing is through prayer. Prayer is powerful. And like this scripture, um, Jesus said, the kind of demon can't be driven out by anything but prayer. That tells me prayer is powerful. Prayer is a very powerful tool. And so what we can do is we can ask Jesus to protect us. We can ask Jesus, we can ask the Holy Spirit to protect our home. We can ask the Holy Spirit to set up a hedge of protection using Scripture. Scripture talks about hedges of protection. We can ask for them to set up a hedge of protection around us and so that the enemy can have a chance to attack. 
we can have those prayers. We can pray those things for us. And we, and it, scripture even says that we can intercede on behalf of those around us. So we can intercede on behalf of our loved ones and ask the Holy Spirit to be protecting them. We can pr- pray against the attacks of the enemy. We can pray against those things and we can do those things. The fourth thing is by fasting. Now, fasting can mean food, but it also can mean, and I'm going to be just blunt as all get out, your cell phone. I would bet more of you would benefit from fasting your cell phone than you would by fasting food because your cell phone has been far more of a tool that the enemy has used for destruction than food in your lifetime. And so more often than not, I would say even go for myself that I would benefit far greater often from fasting my cell phone for a week than I would from fasting food for a week. However, I do believe that there is a biblical principle in fasting food and actually fasting food in order to pray against the demonic and pray against demonic forces. And so depending on what's going on, you might need to fast something that's taking time in your life, something that's causing darkness, something that's uh, become a foothold in your life that the enemy has been using. Sometimes that thing is something like a cell phone. Sometimes that thing is a TV. Sometimes that thing is you know, whatever it might be, sometimes you need to fast those things in order to get into a healthy perspective in your relationship with Jesus. And sometimes you do need to literally fast food and ta- and give up food and, and go into warfare with your body. And I do believe in both and I've practiced both and there's power in both. That's something through having a conversation with the Holy Spirit where it is important to decipher what you need to fast. And so uh, going into the last thing tonight, I know this has been a lot and it's been kind of rapid fire. I want to end with, and the reason I want to end with this is because this is the, the, the bringing everything full circle. Four truths that you need to be firm in while engaging in spiritual warfare. And most of these are kind of repeats, but as repetitive as they are, that just, I'm trying to let you know that's, they're important. So the first thing is the authority. I know I'm repeating myself, but you need to remember at all times that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because of them and their influence in your life and what they mean to you and the impact that they've made in your life and the fact that you're in the book of heaven, that you, because of them, have authority over the darkness and principalities of this world. As a Christian, you have authority that even that non-Christians don't even have because you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you. And so walking in that authority intentionally against the enemy is important. And so um, the next thing is the anointing. And I'm not talking about anointing oil. Now, I do believe and we do believe in anointing oil, and I actually have anointing oil in my pocket that James 5 tells us to pray for those who are affirmed and anoint their heads with oil. Mark 6 says, and they cast out many demons and anoint with oil many who are sick and healed them. We do believe in anointing oil. We do believe that there is a biblical use for it. But I'm not talking about anointing oil. I'm talking about the anointing that comes from the Holy Spirit. Though anointing oil is important and can assist you in spiritual warfare, demons come out and can be cast out because of the anointing and the power that only comes from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit in us. Third thing is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. It's not magic. 
It's not a secret phrase. But the name of Jesus is the name of God and it holds power. Just the name of Jesus holds power. Just repeating the name of Jesus has power. And so if the name of Jesus has that much power, the name of Jesus has authority over all the darkness in the world, over all the darkness and principalities. Just the name of Jesus has that authority. If the name of Jesus has that much authority, then imagine how much more the Holy Spirit within you has. Imagine how much more authority that Jesus and his walk and his relationship with you have over the demonic. And the last tool or the last uh, principle that we need to remember is to cast them out. Cast out demons. Cast them out from your life. Command them away from you. Command them no authority over your life. Command them out with the authority of Jesus and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And the thing about it is when you cast out demons, at some point they have to obey. And so be very specific as you cast out demons. Cast them out. Full authority. Cast you out in the name of Jesus Christ. Get away from me. You do not get have permission to affect me. You don't give permission to affect my family. You don't get permission. You have no contract over me. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. That has power. And so to kind of end tonight, um, I want to give a couple minutes. Uh, if any of you guys have any questions, see if we can answer anything. And then as a rule of thumb, just so you guys are aware, anytime we talk about spiritual warfare, I want to end the night in prayer. And so we're going to end the night in prayer because I think it's important because uh, the enemy knows that we're, that we're talking about him. He knows that we're forming battle lines in order to come against him. He's going to try to attack. And so I want to end the night in prayer to make sure that doesn't happen. And then we can walk out of here with a surety that the enemy isn't going to have a place. So first off, question and answer. Does anybody have any questions? Don't be afraid to ask, like, bro. I've been there. <laughs> I, I've, I've, we're good. Demon activity and mental illness. Yeah, that's honestly kind of goes into the sometimes, sometimes demonic activity. Uh, sometimes demons can straight up cause mental illness. Um, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, there's. There's times where it really isn't demonic activity, that it is just something, a structure within the, the brain that could perhaps need healed. It could be something else. It could be the way God designed them. But sometimes mental illness can be caused from the demonic. Um, you know, I, I haven't personally met anybody who struggled with mental illness, who had a demon cast out of them, who was, uh, was healed uh, through that. But um, I do know people who have had that relationship and have had that happen in their life. Um, but it's one of those things where, yeah, even mental illness is one of those things where it can be. doesn't mean it is, but it can be. Um, and so how we combat that is, it's one of those things where, again, you don't want to go up to somebody who has a mental illness and be like, bro, you have a demon. I'm going to cast a demon out of you. But if you have a close relationship with somebody who does have a mental illness and they would be willing to let you lay hands and pray for them, you can lay hands and pray for them. And even just within your own thoughts, you don't even have to audibly speak it just within your own thoughts. You can cast out a demon because you have the Holy spirit. And so you can cast out a demon. Um, but it's, it's still important to be, 
it's one of those things where it's, it's very important to make sure that you, before you approach that person, have been praying and fasting because you need to be ever more discerning whether or not it is a spirit or whether or not it is mental illness. Um, because if you're wrong, you can cause way more harm than you can good. Yeah, that's a good point. What kind of mental illness? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, I had... Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's honestly, I, I firmly believe that, yeah, I, I do firmly believe that my, my bipolar disorder um, could have, if it wasn't caused by, was definitely exasperate, exasperated by the demonic before I was saved. I really do believe that because then when I got saved, I w- it was all gone instantly. Nobody prayed for healing over me, nothing like that. It was just gone. And so I really do believe that at least... Uh, it was magnified at the very least by the demonic when I, when I got saved. Does that answer your question? All right. Anybody else have any questions? What's up, Ella? So it's a note and it's a question. Okay. My first note is that back home, there is this kind of a big issue, as you say, the demonic activity kind of mm-hmm. area here. Um, comparing back home and here, kind of like nothing is attributed to demonic activity, so it's an yeah, but and my question is about temptation, right? Uh, okay, I don't know how to exactly phrase it, but okay, for example, let's say you are a person that you're, you're doing things right, you have a what you would consider a healthy relationship with God, and then let's say a family member dies, right? Is that temptation? The family member dying? Yeah. What would it be tempting you to do? Like maybe weaken your faith. I mean, it, 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 I say can be, but more often than not, I would say probably not. So is that a spiritual attack or a temptation? Somebody dying? Yeah. Or the feelings that come from it? No, somebody dying. When, so death, death, simply put, is just a result of living in a fallen world. We have all sinned, and the, the punishment for sin is death. So death occurs because we live in a fallen world. Um, death happens. Death can happen because of sin. Death can happen because of car accidents. Death can happen because God appointed it for you to die at that time. There's a lot of different reasons that death can happen. Um, so death in and of itself, I wouldn't say would be a temptation or anything like that. However, you know, um, we can because God doesn't tempt us. Scripture is clear that God isn't the one who tempts us. The enemy tempts us or we tempt ourselves. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that death in and of itself is temptation. However, um, if you were to begin feeling uh, anger towards God, I would say that that anger could be a temptation. Um, if you were to have, so there could be ways in which the enemy could use a death in order to tempt you, 
But I wouldn't say the death in and of itself would be a temptation. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I will say this, death is a very, very interesting thing because no death, even when your great grandma dies at 110 years old, it still feels like they shouldn't have died. You know, it's, it's rare that somebody dies that you're like, yeah, it was their time. They needed to go. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to say that. So nobody ever dies when they're quote-unquote supposed to because sin, the punishment of sin is death. So if we were to live and uphold God's will of not sinning, then we would never die. But we're not capable of that. And so because we live in a fallen world, because we are fallen, there's death. And so beyond that, my mom, so for example, and my mom, she was a Christian, solid lady, um, her health was getting worse and worse and worse. And we prayed for healing. We tried, you know, we, we went to people who were specifically gifted in healing. And we went and she was healed of back pain. Her back was broken like six different places. And for some reason, she was healed of her back pain. And it healed her back. But she wasn't, her organs weren't healed. And it was a matter of a year later that she ended up passing away. And I wrestled with that so hard because I was, why would God heal her back but not heal the thing that was killing her? I wrestled that for a really long time. <clears throat> and uh, two results from that happened. The first thing is that when my mom died, my dad began seeking me out because he knew I had a relationship with Jesus. And so he began seeking me out, wanting to learn more about Jesus. That never would have happened if my mom had lived. The second thing is that when my mom died, and this came as it was one of the hardest things that the Holy Spirit has ever smacked me upside the head about, <clears throat> was I was praying and I just asked, you know, I was just spending some time in prayer and I felt like the Holy Spirit because I was kind of struggling with it that day. And I was like, God, why did you take my mom? And I felt like the Holy Spirit just flat out asked me, do you really believe that it would be better for your mom to be alive than be at my feet? Because she was saved. She was inherit she inherited in glory. She was in heaven. So did I really believe that it would be better for my mom to be here on earth for her behalf? Or did I want her here for my behalf? And I realized that it was a very selfish reason for me to want my mom to be alive. And so death for us as Christians... If we really believe what we really say we believe in the Bible, then death is the best thing that can happen to us because we get to go straight to heaven. We get to sit at the feet of Jesus. But while we patiently wait for that death to occur, God has charged us with spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom and witnessing. 
And so obviously that's why we don't, as Christians, we don't immediately get taken up to heaven because it is for the benefit of those around us that we remain alive. And so while we can juggle that benefit of, okay, it would be more of a benefit of us as Christians to instantly get to heaven when we, when we give ourselves to Christ, but it is to the benefit of those around us as Christians that we remain here. <clears throat> it's not to our benefit that we cure cancer. It's not to our benefit that we, you know, that would be a great thing, but like really as Christians, the biggest thing that we can give this earth is Jesus. It really should be. And so with death, we have to wrestle both sides of that of if they were Christian, then they inherited glory and it was a good thing. And if they were not, then that is an example of how we as the church can continue to advance the kingdom and share the gospel because no life should ever be lost without hearing the accurate representation of Jesus. Not necessarily. We don't really know. That's, that is one thing that I will say the Bible doesn't explain in a, in a huge way. And I, and I think that part of it is because of the fact that death can be so, it can seem so random. I think for us as Christians, rather than fighting with the why people die and should, you know, should people do this? Or if people really were believers of Jesus, would they die? And that rather than wrestle with that, I think the reason why it's set up the way it is, is as a stark reminder of us that any of us could go at any time. As we walk out of this room, somebody could shoot up the place and we could be driving down the road and we can get T-boned. You know, it doesn't make sense. And so it's a reminder, and Scripture talks about that that Jesus and, and death can come at any moment to us. And so it needs to be, for us, instead of it being a, uh, a thing that we wrap our brain around of, of that kind of questioning, it needs to be a reminder of worrying about today and making sure that today I'm doing everything I can to make sure that those around me have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That those around me know that they're loved. That those around me know this stuff because at any point in the night you could die from a heart attack. You can die from, you know, there's so many things and it seems so random and so confusing. And I think that that, I think the reason for me, and this isn't a biblical thing, this is just my belief is that the reason it's set up that way and the reason God allows it that way is for us as Christians to help us to remind ourselves how important every single day is in the advancement of the kingdom of God and our calling as Christians to share the gospel and make disciples. Does that make sense? And I know that does not answer your question, but in a roundabout way it does. And then uh, I do want to go back to your comments. Courtney, go ahead. Yeah. 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 That's good. 
they just have to trust that God's not going to take them back. Yeah. Um, so that, that's just kind of how I see it. And before my dad passed away, I never really knew how to console people who kind of lost loved ones who, like, an untimely death where it wasn't expected, where that person was not knowing whether they were going to heaven, not knowing whether they were going to that. And then it happened, I lost my dad. Actually, got to leave right here when I was working oh. when I was 19, and it was a sudden thing. And the first, and Tanner was working with me, um, we were co-working back then. And the first words out of my mouth were, Tanner, I don't know if my dad's going to heaven. And I had to grapple with that for the next week as we were, you know, as we were preparing for the funeral, as we were, you know, going through possessions, as we were doing all of this. And then the pastor, who I didn't even know, and it was a complete random happenstance of how. He got to the point where he was giving the eulogy for my dad. Coming from now, my dad had been going to him, seeking, before he passed away, seeking answers about Christ, seeking answers about his faith, unanswered questions that he had had, you know, going through devotions. Like, I, like, and, and I didn't have, like, that close of a relationship with my dad. So the fact that my dad even knew what the word devotions meant, you know, like, yeah. it was just like, it, it was a complete revelation to me. And so, you know, sometimes that's just kind of a phrase that pops in and consoles people when they're going through an, an untimely death. But you really don't know the power and impact that Jesus is having a person's life. Yeah. I didn't know about my own dad. And so there's power in that. You know, that's sometimes it can feel like death takes the power away from us, like we're powerless when it comes to death. But Jesus has power in a person's life, even moments before their death, even weeks before their death. Yeah, that's good. You know, the Holy Yeah. That's yeah. good. Also, something worth breaking in too. I don't think we're supposed to have all the answers. No. No. Because we live in a very, very, very broken world. So there's a lot of bad stuff that happens that we question every single day. But our purpose as Christians then is the knowing of who we follow and who we have the answer in Christ. Because he says he works all, all things for good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. So we're already set. We have the answer in I don't know, again, we're called not to necessarily focus on the why, but to focus on the who. Yeah. I guess that's my best answer. To that. Yeah, that's good. And real quick, I know we're looking kind of, but yeah. something that you might want to throw out real fast is something that I used to struggle with when I was younger was the thought process of whether or not Christians can be possessed or any human being attached to a Christian. Do you allow them to? I don't know. Just throw your thoughts mainly on this very of course you ask me to talk about that. It's easily the most controversial thing. Yeah. Okay. The first thing, I'll come back to that because I got to... The first thing is, I just want to make a statement of, I don't even fully understand my wife. Do you really want to really fully understand God? You know what I mean? Like, if if I can't even... No, if I can't even fully understand my wife, how small would God really be if I could fully understand him? You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? The second thing is I wanted to say was your, your comment about back home, everything's spiritual, and then here it's like nothing is. And I feel like 
there really does need to be more of a balance. Um, because we can't, because like I said, we can cause more harm than good attributing everything to the demonic. But at the same time, on the exact equal playing field, we can cause more damage than good by equating nothing to the demonic. Because if we start treating somebody for depression who's dealing with a demonic oppression, they're not going to grow. They're not going to be healed by medicine. They're only going to be healed by the demonic being casted out. And on the reverse, if we're trying to cast out a demon from somebody who needs medicine, they're going to suffer needlessly when we have the medicine that can help them because it's not a demonic, but we're sitting there claiming it's a demonic. So there needs to be a balance, which is where discerning from the Holy Spirit comes into play of, you know, and so that's why, you know, I always, in my head, I pray as though it is demonic, but out, outwards, the expression typically is, I'm, I'm approaching it as if it's not, a lot of times. Or if it's somebody who I know, so it's like, it's one of you guys who comes to me, who we've had this conversation about demonic, and you come to me and you're like, hey, just out of the blue, I've never struggled with panic attacks in my entire life, or I've never struggled with uh, bipolar disorder or something, I don't know. But if all of a sudden, one night, just bam, it just hits you full bore, and you come in and you're like, hey, I don't know what's going on, I'm freaking out. I'm going to be like, hey, have you ruled out whether or not it can be spiritual first? And then from there, let's have a conversation and let's talk to the psychology. Let's counsel you through it. Let's, let's walk through the implications. And so a lot of times if I'm struggling with anxiety or something that's it's impacting me in my day, for me, the very first thing I do is for just my personal benefit. I just in my head or out loud, if I'm not, you know, like if I'm just in my room or whatever, should be like, in the name of Jesus, I command this anxiety away. The demon, you know, any demonic forces that are trying to attack me, I cast this out. And then from there, I, if I'm still kind of struggling, I'm like, okay, why? And so those of you guys who know my past know that I grew up in an abusive home. A lot of crap that happened when I was a kid comes back to haunt me later in life with, you know, I have weird weird things about authority being mad at me and stuff. And it can cause anxiety in me um, because of my abusive past. That's not demonic. That's psychological. But at other times, the demonic can use that as a foothold in order to try to mimic that and attack me that way. And so for me, it just works for me to just, hey, let's rule out spiritual and then approach it in a practical. And then the second or the last thing, I don't, I know what, a lot of theologians say about demonic possession and demonic oppression. Um, I don't know what the, the, the threshold is as, to far, as far as when you can or cannot be possessed. Um, but my experience, I guess I'll just say this. My experience was I was saved. I had given my life to Christ when I experienced being possessed. And so some theologians say that you cannot be possessed by a demon when you have the Holy Spirit in you because the Holy Spirit is more powerful. And I agree. But for me, I guess, so I would say the caveat to that would be, it is possible that what I experienced was a form of oppression. Um, and so I'll just explain to you what it felt like for me. Um, 
so when it happened, I can distinctly remember um, my friend. It was all kind of one night. Uh, my friend, I'll just kind of go through a very quick version of the story. Is that okay with you guys? So a um, friend came in. He walks in. He had just spent some time with a girl. And uh, he, uh, he walks in. He goes, hey, Tanner, could I do some laundry real quick? And I was like, yeah, sure. So he goes out to his car, he grabs his laundry, he brings it back in, he starts his laundry, he walks back out into the living room and he goes, hey Tanner, would it be okay if I did a load of laundry? And I was like, I thought that's what you went out to your car to do. And he's like, okay, it's cool if I do laundry? And I was like, yeah. So he walked back out to his car, he comes back in, he literally walks in the door and he goes, Tanner, I don't know if I asked you, is it okay if I do some laundry real quick? And I was like, bro, what is going on? And at that moment, my first thought the first time was he's kind of having a mental, you know, mental breakdown or something with well, something's going on. But then the second or the third time that it happened, it was almost as though all of me and my friends had the discernment from the Holy Spirit instantly because it was like we all knew exactly at the same time that it was demonic. And so we all jumped up at the exact same time and we were like, hey, can we lay hands and pray for you? And he was like, uh, I don't care. And so he sits down and then the second we laid hands on him, and this is a Christian dude, so he should, he normally would be like, yeah, dude, pray for me. But the fact that he even hesitated kind of shows you where he was at. And so he sits down and we began praying for him. And then that's when I say that he like, he fell out. And so he starts thrashing. And uh, at one point, like it was... Bro, we had been Christian for a couple months. One of us laid a Bible on top of his head. Like, uh, one of us, uh, I can't remember, one of us started. If you had done a little bit better, it would have done a little bit Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so I, I was not the one who laid a Bible on his head. But uh, so I started like trying to quote some scripture because even though I'd only been saved a couple months, I had some scripture memorized and I was trying to try and quote scripture. And then another friend was uh, another friend was trying to go throughout the house to find a cross because they were like, a cross is going to do this. And then so he finds a cross and he lays a cross on him like the movies, like the power of Christ. You lay the cross on him and then their face burns or whatever. So he's like laying the cross on him and like nothing's happening. And we're just like what is going on? And then finally it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, I think we just have to cast it out. So I was like, in the name of Jesus, get out. You're not allowed in my house. You're not allowed in my friend. And then, um, it was almost like, boom. And it just like, he just kind of slumped over and he sits up and he's like, why are you guys standing around me? And we were like, you don't remember? (laughs) Like (laughs) we just smacked you in the head with a Bible, bro. Like, um, and he was like, <clears throat> he legit didn't have any memory of it. But as we began to re-explain it to him, it was almost like, it was almost like the memory came back to him. And then, so, um, then it was like almost as though same thing. It was like, we all got the same feeling that the demon that was affecting him was still in my house somewhere. And so it was like, boom, we just went witch, witch hut mode, which this is another one of those things. Had I known I just would have just sat in the living room and been like, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> you know, get out of my house. You're not allowed in my house. You know, we wouldn't have gone chasing it, trying to find it. So we're chasing this thing down. One point it's in my roommate's closet. And then another point it's in my kitchen. And this thing was just like, kind of like run. It was like a mouse. You know, we're playing hide and go seek with a demon. 
And uh, I remember we got into my friend's room and, uh, or yeah, my roommate's room. And I remembered, I, I legit had the thought, and this is where I feel like what I did was I opened myself up to the, the, to the demon was I, I legit thought, I really wonder what it would feel like to be possessed. Like I kind of want it to happen. And so in that moment, it was, it was almost the moment I thought it and felt that I wanted to be possessed. It was, it was boom. It was games over. You know, game was over. It was, it was inside of me. And, uh, I don't remember what had happened. Um, I just remember I was, so what I can remember from it was, it was almost as though when that moment happened, I was sitting in the corner and there was a bright being like standing guard over me. And I, and kind of in the distance, I could kind of see my friends hovering around my body. And so that is all that I remember, actually remember from it. Um, but apparently my friends, I think there was six of them, six of them couldn't hold me down. Um, I was thrashing around and apparently I was, they kept saying that I was speaking in like, it was like multiple tones at the same time, asking them, who do you think you're trying to save? Eventually they did the same things. They, um, tried to lay the Bible on my head, apparently tried with the cross. Cause it was like, it worked before. So we're going to routine, we're going to ritualistically do this. And then lastly, somebody cast it out of me. And it was like, all of a sudden I woke up and I was like, same thing. I was like, what happened? Like, seriously, this isn't, you know, so my best bet is if we are incapable of being possessed, then that was what we would define as a oppression because I wasn't in my body, if that makes sense. That's the best way I can explain it. I know this is, this, this stuff sounds weird. I know this stuff, it's, it sounds weird, but like, I promise you it's, it's real. And it happened exactly like I'm explaining it. Um, and so that's my best theory is if we cannot be possessed as Christians, I know for a fact we can be oppressed. If that's what is the definition of oppression, um, but but yeah, I wanted it to happen for that split second, and and I, what I believe happened was by doing that, I just it was almost in the spiritual world, I just threw off the armor of God. It was just like I was there, I was built up, I was ready, I was prayed up, I was protected, I had the armor of God on. And then in that moment, I was just like, I want this to happen. So it was like I just took off the armor and threw it away. That's the best way I can explain why it probably happened. Um, and after the fact, I can tell you. huh? I think that's the, the distinction that Jordan wanted you to come out though. Because that's good, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And now, so looking back on all of it, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that if, if I were to have, and we were to have walked in our full authority, and that was the thing, I think we had been Christians so little, we never really knew what was going on, that we didn't know what the full authority of the Holy Spirit was. We didn't know the full authority of Jesus. Had we walked in the full authority and immediately just been like, get out of my friend, laid our hands on him, cast it out, cast it out of our house, prayed protection over our house, bing, bang, done, whatever, 
you know, it wouldn't have been a, as dramatic of an event. Um, I think it would have been more efficient. But, um, but yeah, again, I think I was still, I was still, even in all of that mess, like I was protected. You know what I'm saying? Like, even necessarily if my body wasn't, like I was still being protected by whether it was an angel or the Holy Spirit or what, I don't know. But like, my, like me and my soul, like I was being protected. And I think that might be the distinctive difference between possession and the oppression. And so, yeah. Exactly. And so since then, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I wish it never would have happened, but because of the experience, I've been able to take that into many different instances where I've had friends or uh, loved ones or people I know who reach out because they're dealing with a spiritual possession and I've gone in and been able to cast out the demons without even sometimes sometimes the demon would literally leave like as soon as I start knocking on the door you know and it's just and it's not because of me it's because I'm coming with authority of Jesus I'm coming with authority of Holy Spirit and as I'm walking up I'm already praying I'm already casting out the demon and by the time I even step foot that demon's like bro I want out and so, again, it has nothing to do with me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. And so the same thing for you guys. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit in you. And that's why I want to stress the going back to sometimes, like I said, as Christians, we underestimate the power of the demonic. But then in the same time, I think we egregiously underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, wow, all of that can be scary. It can be... You know, it can be gruesome and scary and and something. I want to make sure I want to say this and I want to end it on this of that. Do not be afraid of demonic possessing you, possessing you or oppressing you, oppressing you or anything like that. Don't be afraid of it because you have the authority of the Holy Spirit. You have that power. And because of that, we aren't afraid of demons. We aren't afraid of the demonic we fear the Lord. We have a healthy fear of the Lord, but we, we aren't called to be afraid of the demonic. But again, it is important for us to know our enemies. Um, any other questions before we spend a couple minutes in prayer? I know it's getting late. Yeah, go for it. So like, what are, I guess, some red flags or like some signs? That red flags. Of like, when you need to pray over like your house or your house. Um, I just make it a habit to regularly pray over our house, whether it needs it or not. Uh, I don't want it to ever get to the point where there's a red flag. I want to be ahead of the ball game. You know what I'm saying? So I would say I wouldn't even play the game of red flags. Like I would play the game of get ahead of the curve. And so, um, but sometimes I'll be honest, I don't think about it for a few months. Like I think there was one time where we didn't, we didn't pray over our house for like a whole year just we weren't thinking about it. We get busy with Kai Alpha stuff. And uh, sometimes, like, dude, um, I mean, any, it could be anything. Some It could just be from the moment you get home, you just feel like dread. You know, like you don't want to go home. Who doesn't want to go home? You know what I'm saying? If you start feeling like you're just, like, dreading going home, um, you know, Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's a, you know, part of what could, like, should compel us to hate our sin is even realizing, you know, what kind of footholds our sin can give the enemy. But that isn't, again, one of those things where it's like, oh man, I sinned. I need to be afraid of an attack from the enemy now. It's more like, I recognize my sin and I'm just going to pray and I'm going to pray protection. And I'm going to walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit still because Jesus still forgave us. And so, uh, you know, it's not one of those things where we need to be afraid of it. But even to the point where it's like, you know, sometimes we hear crap moving in our basement and, you know, that kind of stuff. And that's the kind of those prompts where it's like, you know, when your dishes are weighted weird and all of a sudden they'll just randomly just like shift. Like that happens. That doesn't mean a demon is in your house. Like, you know what I'm saying? And so for an example, like just because there's weird noises in your house doesn't mean that there's a demon in your house. But when you have an onion that flies across your kitchen floor, hey, maybe you should pray, <laughs> pray protection over your house a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, uh, you know, um, while, yeah. I mean, even while, while I was writing this sermon, I literally had crap moving around in my base, in my, in my office. And I, I literally turned around and I, and I just said, bro, I don't have time for this. Get out of my house. And I turned back around and I kept writing. I was like, bro, I've got the authority of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy's not going to, he's not going to take away from the night. He's not going to take away from this sermon. And I'm not going to deal with this right now. I have power. He doesn't get out of my house. And so, yeah, recur. Yeah. And sometimes even vocalizing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's for real. That's for real. Uh, my mom used to get woke up in the middle of the night from. I would just say probably a demon. And I told her, I was like, dude, just one night, like next time it happens, just say, dude, like you're annoying me. Every time you wake me up, every time you rob me of time, I'm going to double the amount of time you're robbing me and I'm going to spend that with God and then follow up and actually do it. And the enemy is going to realize that every time he attacks you, you're going to get closer to God. And so he's going to attack you and he's not going to attack you that way at least. And so the attack, those weird midnight attacks where it kept waking my mom up just ended. And so, like, demons are, yeah, they get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know. And so, seriously, if they keep waking you up or giving you nightmares or, you know, just say, I'm going to double the amount of time you're taking from me. I'm going to spend it with God. And then do it and follow up. Um, but, yeah. Play dirty. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, they're not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, do that kind of stuff because yeah but again don't be afraid of it because we don't have to be afraid um but yeah any other questions we good
All right. So I want to put on some worship music, and I know it's getting late, um, but uh, I really, I'm going to ask you guys, give at least five minutes to prayer. And in this prayer, I want you to start with just, just pray against any footholds that the enemy might have in your life. And just pray, just in the name of Jesus Christ, I command any demonic forces away from me. Um, another prayer that I like to pray, pray is if, if the enemy feels like he has a contract over my life or, or uh, feels like he has authority in my life, I cancel that contract and I know that authority and I give all authority in my life over to Jesus. And I just pray protection against any attacks from the enemy. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would put a hedge of protection around me, around my family, around my house, whatever. And, uh, and Lord, that you would protect me against any attacks from evil or anyone attending evil. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the day of prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And so I kind of pray this thing along the same thing of, and Lord, I pray that if I have any, uh, I pray that you would um, not allow the enemy to, to, to tempt me and that you would deliver me away from his hands, um, basically the same way Jesus taught us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Um, start with that. And then from there, you know, then I just ask the Holy Spirit to guide me in my prayers. And then from there, just kind of, if you feel like it, it kind of rises up in your gut is kind of just a, a feeling, hey, I should pray about this, then pray about it. And so I'm going to ask you to give at least five minutes. And if you need to leave after five minutes, peace out. You guys are good. Um, we'll be praying for you guys this week as well. I just ask you to continue praying. Um, but give at least five minutes to prayer because I think it is important when we talk about the enemy that we return our focus unto Christ because really that's where the authority is. That's where the power is. And I think it's important for us to take a little bit of time and return our attention back to Christ rather than continuing to focus on the enemy. Does that make sense? So I'm going to put some worship music on. Like I said, give five minutes. After five minutes, um, we might end it. We might keep going for a little bit. But if you need to leave, you need to leave. Um, and if you have any more questions that maybe you didn't want to speak up about, um, feel free, shoot me an email, shoot me a text message, Facebook message, any, fo any form of social media that you have that I have. Feel free to message me and I can answer questions as well. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hang back and, yeah, visit with us. Oh, I'm gonna do soaking. Also, if you're ever um, uh, getting ready to prayer, uh, to prayer, getting ready to pray, and uh, you're like me that you like having music going in the background, but if you have worship music, you tend to just worship instead. On YouTube, there's a ton of them that are just like they're called instrumental soaking worship. They're just basically like. The, the music of worship without any words. And so I highly encourage you to listen to those. We're going to listen to some of that. But it just kind of helps me to be able to pray and to have that like atmosphere without having the words that distract me from my prayer. Okay, before they kick us out, um, 
just to kind of to come together to end. Um, the last thing I want just kind of want to end on is that kind of the whole point of tonight, and I want to make sure that I want to be careful to this, is the whole point of tonight isn't to get us overly focused on the demonic or overly focused on spiritual warfare to the point where we obsess about it. It's more to get us to to come to a place where we recognize the fullness of our authority so that we don't have to be constantly thinking about it. Um, and that, in that fulfillness, uh, and in that, or fulfillment and in that full authority should give us a, a sense of excitement and a, and a sense of joy because there's nothing that the enemy can do to, you know, to destroy us. He can't, the enemy, the, the demonic can't erase our names from the book of heaven. The enemy can't rob us of our salvation. And because of that salvation, because of what we have in Jesus, they can't take anything from us. And so, you know, it should give us a, a, a power and an excitement and a joy um, going forward. And so just want to encourage you guys in that. Um, outside of that, let's pray. And uh, again, if you have any questions or anything, you can always talk, but they're probably going to kick us out here in a minute. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together tonight to learn more about your kingdom. God, I pray protection over every single one of these students as they leave here, that you would give them um, peace, joy, and excitement about what you're doing in their lives. I pray that they would be able to focus on you, focus on sharing the gospel, focus on... Um, like I said, uh, focus on advancing the kingdom of God. I pray that you would give them an excitement, a passion for that, and a joy for that. As they leave here, I pray that the enemy would not be able to attack them, that you would set up a hedge of protection around each, every single one of them um, throughout this entire week as they go about their, their lives. I pray you would remind them constantly to spend time with you, and uh, Lord, that they could have a new passion and new joy in their relationship with you. Lord, we love each and one of these students, and I pray that your will would be done in their lives. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen.